where where me and Roy now become CEOs of a company and now it's all about profitability, it's all about structure, it's about um, systems and it was quite uncomfortable. It's something we don't get taught. We do, like me and you, coming out of a family business, we don't get taught this. We just, we're expected as we grow to know it. So it's very important that we, 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 that we took, like these last two years, I took the step back, we reassessed where we need to go, put the clear goals and push forward. Welcome to A Table for Two, inspiring and educational interviews and stories with the best operators, owners, and entrepreneurs in business and the hospitality industry. My name is Phil Halani, and on today's episode, we chat to Charlie El Hashem, co-owner of Piccolo Me and their new concept, Go Dark. Charlie has seen the highs and lows of the hospitality industry, and at the start of the pandemic, he genuinely thought he would lose the business him and his family worked so hard to build. But after some dark times, Charlie changed his mindset and has turned his worst time into his best. And when lockdown was announced this year, they were ready. Not only did they survive, they thrived. In today's episode, we chat about the impact his dad has had on his career and his life, the challenges he has faced in hospitality, their ability to adapt during COVID, and his new startup, Go Dark, a unique concept that will change the way we operate from our venues. It's been amazing to see Charlie's growth from store owner to CEO over the last few years, and the vision and direction he has has for his business is very inspiring. I also interviewed Charlie's brother Roy, the creative genius behind Piccolo Me back in September last year. So if you want to know more about the Piccolo Me story, I recommend you listen to that episode also. That was episode number 12. Thank you again to the Piccolo Me family, Harry, Charlie and Roy for always being there and continuing to be there for me as friends and mentors. A quick shout out to our good friends at ProCal Dairies, Sonoma Bacon Co and MD Providors who are passionate about supporting small businesses, the hospitality industry and also this podcast. So generally we start our, our podcast pretty formal and, you know, how we get you started in hospitality. But um, I'm with Charlie from Piccolo Me and, and we were talking off air about how hard it is at the moment with staff. So, Charlie, how are you? Good, good. Yourself? Good, thanks. I just I, I kind of want to continue the conversation and I wish we were – Hi, mum. <laughs> Not dad, just mum. <laughs> Dad's around there. You, you saw him around wandering. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, we want to – I wish we were recording at the start because we are talking a lot about like how hard it is right now in the industry – What's going on in the industry? Why is there such a massive shortage of, of staff in hospitality right now? I think there's a, a lot of contributions to that. I think me and you were talking off air before about I think a lot of people in hospitality hospitality let a lot of staff down early on in terms of we we were one of the fastest and hardest hit, hit businesses. So a lot of I know a lot of um, people in businesses they just drop their employees overnight. Yeah. So, so do you think it's it's the reason why hospitality is suffering so much now is because there was no security for the workers? There was no security. Um, a lot of companies didn't back their employees. Yeah. You can imagine all those groups like the pubs, the clubs, the bistros. I'm sure they a lot of people had annual leave, but early on a lot of the casuals didn't feel protected. Yeah. And a lot of the international students as well. A lot of people got sent back home. So it was a very challenging time and – and I, I don't blame a lot of people for not wanting to stay in this industry. There was a lot of, um, you know, your Wall, your, your Coles, your Amazons and all these. These businesses were aggressively hunting people down as well. Mm. And I think they were... They, they're given the security they needed, right? They were getting a better package, I guess. Yeah. L- less hours, more security. 
So, so Charlie, like, and I know we've kind of fast tracked this podcast pretty quickly, but we'll go back to the start. But what's the solution? How do we how do we get back to where it was where you know you put an ad out and you get a hundred resumes? How how do we get back to that point? I really think we need to treat hospitality like it's treated overseas, especially in the European countries, where it's there's a career path rather than it's a job or an infill. We really need to make these people feel um, welcome, loved. You spoke about it earlier about profit share or incentives. I think the whole industry is, needs a, to be overhauled. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for you guys, it's pretty scary because, I mean, you guys have, I think, 27 locations yep. across Australia. You obviously, most of those are franchises. So, you know, you, you get the franchisee and then he hires the staff. But how is, has this slowed your growth? I think what slowed our growth was we slowed it intentionally just to, during the last two years, it's been very difficult during mm-hmm. COVID. But we actually sat down... There's a, not many people can see this. Um, we'll see where we are, but uh, we have this couch here next to us. And me, Dad and Roy, my brother and my father, we sat down and we took a real serious look at ourselves and our business and said, yeah, we can keep growing, but is it, are we going to be able to sustain this? So we put a pause to it early last year and we just sat back and we went backwards and we thought, let's try and improve what we needed, what we need to improve. So we kind of, around the office, we kind of talk about it as Piccolo Me 2.0 now. Mm. And a lot of the resources, money, a lot of time went into fixing what should have been implemented from day one. Okay. As a, as a business, so me, Dad, Roy, all our experience and all our um, management experience, our university was working within our yeah. family business. Yeah. So we weren't taught all about all, you know, incentives, about profit management. Structures. Structures, you know, it was always like, they can't do it, you do it. Yeah. But it comes to a stage where you need to start, especially during a staff shortage, you need to start working on optimization and you need to really work on systems and, and procedures. And Yeah, I, I just, it's funny because you're right, like we kind of get we're thrown in the deep end. You're the same. 100%. You worked in a family business. Yeah, 100%. So you don't learn until you're in there and you're like, oh, hold up, we got to implement the structures, the systems, the checklists, all those things that we just, we learn as we go, right? Like I remember like in the first cafes my dad was running, the checklist was in his head. Yeah. Yeah, like he wouldn't even be in the cafe and he's ordering. Like he'd be walking down through Westwood and they're like, yeah, four focaccia, two Turkish bread. And like that, you don't want to check. Don't order. I know everything. You know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, it, like, so, so that kind of um, – you kind of take that mentality with you as you grow. Yeah, of course. So so, pretty, so, so that was COVID a blessing in the sense of – you know, like I said, we fast-tracked a little bit now, which is fine. But when we first met during lockdown, the first lockdown – you, I was you, an emotional wreck. You felt defeated. It looked like you were defeated. You know what? All the eggs were in one basket. Yeah. And someone knocked me over and dropped that and dropped that basket. I didn't feel like I dropped the basket, but that basket of eggs was dropped, and it was, and yeah. it was like egg yolk, and it was like you're stepping in there. It's a mess. <laughs> you know, you're like, how do I? How do I? First of all, clean my shoes. How do I get out of this? And then how do I go back and um. Remember, we're not only corporate, we're, we have franchisees as well and franchisees that have spent a lot of money on these businesses because they back what we do. Mm. So there was, a, there was a, lot, a lot of pressure. There was, I think, a lot more pressure being that it was a family business. Yeah. Everything we had is tied into this. Yeah. All our eggs were literally in this basket. Yeah, I think everyone, I mean, we, we all thought that's it. It was over. Like, I think that was really the, the thought we had early on, wasn't it? The, the biggest thing that, that knocked me straight back out of it was we were sitting down and Dad's like, you know me, I come to this country with nothing, with nothing, and look what we've built. Do you think this country is going to let you um, sit back down and, and um, 
it's not going to help you get big, uh, like pick you back up. He goes, I came here with nothing. Like, like wake the fuck up. Yeah. You know, just get over it and just plan. And so what we did, we we came and we we spoke about putting four pillars, and we started. We said, how do we stop ourselves from being in the same position again? And and that's what we did. We just went and we started looking at how we're going to diversify the company. Um, how, how do we take advantage of the situation? There's people at home. How do we get to those people at home? We were, we were quite fortunate early on that we had a we had a knowledge of Uber, so we 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 knew how to get orders. It wasn't big like early on. If we had two or three orders on Uber per day, we were like, "Wow, this is yes. what is this? this is amazing." But we were quite fortunate a, a year prior to go to Hong Kong, invited by Uber, and we saw what Euro, uh, sorry what Hong what Hong Kong and that that culture was like. No one had a kitchen. Everyone was living underneath their buildings in this ecosystem and it was all ordering and people and bags and and me and Roy were like, it's eventually going to come here. Mm. We're actually going gonna to come to a stage where it's going to be cheaper to order food than to stay at home and cook it. So you got you got to look into the future before you... That crystal ball. Crystal ball. Yeah. So that gave you guys a bit of a head start because you see what you're doing and we're going to talk a bit more about your new concept and, and what Uber and, and, and all those delivery services have done for your business but... Is that where this time around for lockdown you were like, okay, it's time. Let's let's. There's no time to feel sorry for ourselves. Let's just go hard. I, like perfect analogy. It's like um, we were in the F1 car. We put our helmets down and we're like, go. Yeah. Like we had everything ready. It was like we were almost waiting for it to happen, mm. and it was just switch on. And thankfully, we had some some businesses that were doing close to twenty twenty five thousand per week in just delivery sales. Wow. Which is it's huge. Yeah. This. Like if we go back to, to the original Piccolo Me story, Piccolo Me was a concept that was Monday to Friday. Yeah. That's the concept. Mm. We were selling um, a brand that coincided with your lifestyle. If you're an accountant and you wanted to come into the cafe industry and you're used to working Monday to Friday, Piccolo Me is your solution. Yeah. So two years ago, majority of the network was Monday to Friday. Fast forward to now, majority of the network now opens seven days. Wow. With um, with some doing nights. How how do your franchisees that were that bought into the lifestyle? How are they feeling about it now? I think um, like all of us, they knew that it needed to be done out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there was a lot of resistance, but we were quite fortunate. We have we have corporate stores, so we can lead by example. Mm-hmm. So every day, I'm like every time I'm making record sales, I'm like I'm sending it to the WhatsApp like <laughs> franchising WhatsApp. Look, this could be you. This could be yeah, you. You're yeah. missing out. You guys led by example. That that was very important. Super. I mean. At the end of the day, even though we fast forward two years, everything's still tied down into that basket. Mm. You know, now, now the, the eggs crack, we were scrambling the eggs, you know, and then we're selling it and making money out of it. But I the, love that. But I the whole that. point is never give up. Yeah. And having someone like um, dad in the business has been a real blessing because mm. dad's come and through like civil wars, through like recessions. To him, this is like another walk in the park. Yeah. So he's just, he's, he just made us stay level-headed. He kept us grounded. He ke- he made us get our eye back on the prize, and I'm telling you, our business is so much more better than it was two years ago. Wow, so much more better. Like, I feel like as a brand, we know where we're going. Yeah, I well, have such clear direction now. I like, I've got like, like when I dream and when I go to sleep, I, I know where we where we're gonna head. Well, your your passion, I've ne- I'm. You, you were very kind early on before we opened the cafe, always giving me advice. And that passion back then, I felt like you kind of lost it along the way. But the last six months, I've just seen this like, this new Charlie. You know, you know what it is? Two years ago, 
Oh no, we 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 spoke more than that. Probably three, four years ago. No, well, the the first time I came into your office, this office here, was probably about six years ago. So six years ago is the first time I transitioned from being in the store. So even though we were a franchise, I was still working in the store and then doing the franchising work in the afternoon or at night. Mm. Six years ago, this is when we first opened the head office. So I transitioned from being a barista where I'm the most comfortable. Put me behind the coffee machine and I'm king. Like, how are you going? Yeah, it's you, you're What's in your, you're in your element. You don't need no sugar. You're sweet enough. You know, like, boom. Very natural. <laughs> then, then you put me into this environment where, where me and Roy now become CEOs of a company and now it's all about profitability. It's all about structure. It's about um, systems. And it was quite uncomfortable. It's something we don't get taught. We, like me and you, coming out of a family business, we don't get taught this. We just, we're expected as we grow to know it. So it's very important that we, 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 that we took, like these last two years, I took the step back. We reassessed where we need to go, put the clear goals and push forward. So, so why, let me ask you, was it, you're in the stores and, and that's like most people, as they grow, like, you know, you have one store, you're killing it, you're doing well, and then obviously the plan to grow and, and multiple venues. So Sometimes our, like you, it's not, you, you don't do it intentionally. It's just natural. When you're doing really well, you're everyone's best friend mm. and everyone wants a piece of that pie. So every, you're always getting knocks on your door. So Piccolo and me, we started it. We didn't want to franchise it. It was from day one, we said, this is ours. Yeah. So we could do what we want to do with. It's just, how do, like, how do, you, how do you not get tempted? If become, people, people yeah. want to be a part of something, and you spent so hard building it, like who are you to stop them from being a part of it? Mm. But it got to a stage where it was, and I'm sure a lot of people that want to get into franchising or who are in franchising, where if you've got a system and it works, you just replicate it. Copy and paste. Copy and paste, copy and paste. Yeah. And then you start losing, you start losing your soul. Mm. Not the brand, you, because you're like, it doesn't become fun anymore. Yeah. You start losing that emotional connection. And, and, how did you transition? You said that, you know, you was very uncomfortable going from store owner in the store working to pick up lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> you know, speaking to three, 400 people a day, knowing everyone's stories, like knowing the news, like how did I transition? How did you transition? You said it was uncomfortable, but what did you do to overcome that and get to the point where you're at now? COVID was a big part of that. Yeah. To be honest, it's, um, it was, I needed to just, you know, throw a bit of water on my face. And just wake up, just get out of this surreal, like, stop. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast who are in hospitality, it's, we always want what our customers have. Like, we always see this big CEO or some firm and he's got a beautiful car and he's got, you know, his, his corporate cards. And we're like, we need that. Mm. I'm sick of serving that guy. You want to be that guy. You want to be that guy. But when you become that guy, you're like, it's not that glamorous. Yeah. Always, grass is always greener, right? The grass, like, when you, when you earn it. The rush of owning your own business, and when I when I, I mean when I talk about business cafe, if you, if you really love what you do in hospitality, it's the best. Yeah, it's yeah. a rush. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not a job. It's going to head office. It became a job. Mm. It became tedious. Like um, we're a support center. We have to be there for people. So it didn't give me time to enjoy what I was doing anymore. Fast forward to these two years, I'm. It's, I'm, I'm, awake, I'm, I'm woken. I'm awake. So what was it that turned you from, I mean, like you said, COVID kind of woke you up and looked at opportunities. You turned it into a Midlife positive. crisis. Midlife crisis. Piccolo me is my shiny new red Ferrari. Wow. And and it's and honestly, I've, I've the energy and the vibe right now, I can, you can feel it. Because I feel like you want to hug me. Can we hug? Can we pause this and hug? Can we, 
<laughs> we'll hug after after. <laughs> so I know we fast tracked a lot, and and, and I kind of want to bounce around, and I, I'm glad we kind of kept the conversation going. You know what we're speaking off air because I think it was important to keep that natural you flow. You can cut out whatever you don't like. Yeah, I'll cut out. Let's <laughs> cut out the whole thing. Make you look like. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk to me about. I mean, we interviewed Roy um, early on, and he told us his story. And Roy's the Willy Wonka of the cafes. Yeah, Roy the, Wonka, the, the Roy Wonka, and he obviously a lot of ideas and things like that. Where where does your role come in with Piccolo Me? So I, I pretty much spent all the money Roy makes. <laughs> And by spending that, I hope I okay. I invest the money Roy makes. Reinvest, yeah. So how? how I mean, as you guys. Um, so I, I feel like I sit on the right hand side of Dad, and I'm there to fulfill his vision. Fulfill your Dad's vision. Yeah. So Dad, Dad is very. I'm the pessimist. Dad's the optimist, and Roy's a realist. So it's a great balance. Dad is the person that I've come here with nothing. Let's go out with a bang. I'm the one that's. Oh, yeah, but, you know, should we really open that store? You know? Oh, we only got five bucks and you've already spent 20. <laughs> Don't worry, Charlie. We'll find a way. We'll do it. Just keep pushing. He goes, Dad's, Dad's always very firm on stay open and you will survive. I mean, Tesla's the, the biggest and greatest example of that. They're, um, all of the news today, the valuation is $1 trillion. Crazy, crazy. But if you read the stories, he, he was like hours away from bankruptcy. Yeah. As long as you can make it to that next day, you, you eventually see the sun. It's not always going to rain. Mm. Yeah, it's so important. And, and it's so important. That advice is so important in hospitality because there's, there's those hard days are more often than not. There's so many times where we, we haven't been able to make payroll. Wow. And it comes out of our pocket, especially over the last two years. Yeah. But you keep on pushing. You keep on growing. What pushes you? Why, why do you keep having that push for – I mean, it's easy. I, I know where I want to go now. Okay. And, um, I mean, you're at 49 podcasts. I'm not sure, 50 by the time You're 50. Started. You're going to be 50. Yes. <laughs> And and I think I was probably one of the first people you approached. Hundred percent. But my story wasn't ready to be told then. Mm. I didn't I didn't feel like I, I had enough to contribute. Whereas today I, I'm sitting here and I'm super confident. I'm 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 in love with my brand again. Yeah, and you can see that. And I think you've always loved your brand, but I think you kind of got lost along the way, which we all do because, like you said, you go. From, you're being stretched. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So when you're in a cafe, you're being stretched from the person that wants catering, the person that's complaining about the food, the staff that want more hours, the staff that want more money, uh, burnt toast, burnt equipment. But once you once you come into that corporate setting, it's it's a whole different kettle of fish. You're dealing with landlords, you're dealing with builders, you're dealing with franchisees, you're dealing with corporate store. Like, and I, I I try as much as and as hard as possible to stay connected to my franchisees. Yeah. Like, they bought into our company. I, I don't want I don't want to put a, a layer between me and them. Yeah. But that also puts a lot of pressure as well. Because you have to be on all the time visiting. And I love it. Yeah. Well, is I it, wish I could visit. You know, yeah. to be honest, the one thing I want to do is visit more. I mean, COVID's restricted that, but there's not enough hours in the day. Mm. And and that's and I think what the biggest lessons we've learned is to hire the right people, and to get out of their way. Yeah. Get the fuck out of their way. <laughs> Let so them do what they need to do. I, I, I wanted to talk to you about that because you obviously, you, like you said, you got a great. The partnership between your dad and your brother, he's, everyone's got their role. You know why it's great? Because you can tell your brother to get fucked and then the next day your brother's... <laughs> That's true. There's no issue there. Try and do that right? with a business partner. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot harder. It's a lot, a lot harder. harder. So, but how, how do you... Do you find... Did you ever find or has there ever been a moment where you guys felt that because the ideas... Because you guys run the company still. You're very involved. You guys were... Did you feel that you were kind of protecting the, the company and that's why you had to kind of look outside for more people? To come in, in terms of franchisees, Fra like franchisees, people in head office, or is it still the same kind of setup? We, we've always been a corporate store company, so we don't actively go and push and 
promote to be franchisee. Our, our, com, our um, core model is to run corporate stores. And if this corporate store is ready to go and there's a franchisee ready, then we, we match them together. That puts a lot of risk from a financial point of view on you guys, a lot, lot more. Well, that, I, I guess that's the reason why we grow so slowly. Yeah, okay. But that's also the reason why we have such successful franchisees because a lot of them are buying on merit. Mm. They're not... I could spend four hundred grand on the store, but if the store's only worth two hundred, they're paying two hundred for it. Yeah. Whereas a cookie cutter franchise, they might sell a store for four hundred and say the store up the road that makes three hundred. You know, yeah. it's, it, this should be worth a million dollars. No, this this is the store. This is what it worth. This is what it makes. Yeah. And um, we're we're quite proud of the company we built. Majority of our franchisees are multi um, operators, and they were such a small company, yeah. which is great. And they worked with you along the way. It wasn't like they came in as a franchise. Most of them have, like, a lot of them have worked. A lot of them are, are either from the system or friends of the system. Mm. Like their cousin has one, and now they have one, or family friends. Yeah. The one thing I've noticed is you know you see a lot of companies grow. They get to ten stores quite comfortably, and they start going from ten to twenty. Is a real hard part of growth. You guys have broken through that and you're at 27 stores now. With um, 15 on the way next, by, hopefully wow. by now to next year. Wow. How, where, why is there that that time in a lot of franchisees that I've spoken to, they say it's just once you go past 10, it becomes very hard. Is that a thing where you get to 20 and then you break through that barrier and it becomes a lot easier again? I think um, it comes down to support, the level of support. One to 10 is manageable. I mean, if it's three of us between me, Dad, and Roy, three of us, three stores each, yeah. three and a half, you know? Yeah. Once you start getting to 20, you, you start needing to hire more people and then you start getting more pressure on head office. Head office costs and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, that's one, I think that's one of the biggest issues. And then now once you get to the 20, you need a head office, you need a training center, you need development, you need marketing. So there's a lot. A lot of people that talk to me in franchise and they go, it's not until you crack 50 that you, as a franchisor, you start seeing money. Wow. So, so I mean, what, what is your goal? What's your, with Piccolo Me, what's your end goal? Is there 50 stores, 100 stores, sell? I mean, it's... it's. We're comfortable now to do up to 20 stores per year. Wow. Comfortably. Can what, what, we or should we open 20 stores? Only time will tell. We're not, we're not going to sit down and write on the board that we need to open 50 stores mm. a year. So, so yeah, I mean, when you're looking at vision, and this is such, a, I'm, I'm so glad we're chatting, and this is a big part of why I wanted to chat to you because... When I spoke to Roy, I, I left so inspired because he's just energy. He's, he's you know. I, he's I, a genius. I, it really, he really. I, don't, I, don't, I hate admitting it, but he's, he's a fucking genius. <laughs> and, and, in the, and that's why you guys work so well together. But I think I think you got probably the balance between your dad and Roy where you've been able to kind of, you know, now you've got that, that passion, but also you're very kind of focused on. You know what? I go, I go back to what I said before. Some, if you have the right people, get out of their way. Mm. And I think early on, I was, um, Roy's my younger brother. So it's like, no, Roy, this is how you have to do it. Uh, this is how dad did it. Okay. So th the more that we got out of Roy's way, the more he was able to go and do what he wanted to do. Mm. And it translated into, into great products and the yeah. people in me that it is today. It's amazing how you, you got to go through some kind of like through tough times to go, oh, hold up. This guy's really good at what he does. Yeah. <laughs> Let him do his thing, get <laughs> yeah. out of his way, right? So It's so hard as well because being a co-founder, you think you have great ideas as well. Mm. But... So you guys are sitting around the table now, there's three of you, and then you have an idea. A lot of fights. A lot of fights? Yeah, yeah, it's siblings. And is it just constant, like back and forth? And how do you become a, make a decision? Um, scissors, paper, rock. Yes. <laughs> I think I heard the um, Atlassan boys on uh, one of their podcasts talking about how they um, – disagreements are solved. Scissors, paper, rock. So yeah. we do that quite a bit now. That's good. And it's it's you, one of the best you, things. you got to live with it, right? That's yeah, it. But so. It, it sucks because I'm, I'm always losing. 
<laughs> you're always going for scissors yeah. and Roy's rock. So, I mean, is it... I'm is always it, going for the, the rock. <laughs> but So would you recommend people going in partnership with their family? I mean, it's hard because you always hear about never, going, never get into bed with your family. And then, then on our spectrum, it works really well. You really need to find that balance. Yeah. Only you can tell yourself that. Yeah. Oh, get, you get, could have went into a partnership with your family. Well, I worked with them for 10, 15 years before I opened Percy's. So it was the only reason we didn't go in partnership was because no one wanted to run a cafe, right? Like no one but you. <laughs> without them. I right. bet they're burning now. <laughs> Trust me, if it, was, if it wasn't from the family, I'd be, I'd still be, yeah, I don't know where I'd be. So, so talk to me, as we move on from Piccolo Me, talk to me a little bit about what makes Piccolo Me so special. The people, the brand, the, the quality. Um, the fact that we're not satisfied, mm. I think that's the best thing. We're, we're never satisfied. Yeah. We're always trying to push. We're always out there trying to, to be trendsetters. Early on, we had such success with Piccolo Me. It was like always in the media. It was always in the paper. That thing, that got a little bit harder to sustain as we grew. Mm. And I guess probably we needed to put more better systems and procedures in place. But we, we've done that now. Over the last two years, we literally went back and just said it's, we, we need to get to a step, to a to a point where all our stores produce the same quality. Yeah. We want to be that McDonald's standard where you can go to China or you can go in like Lebanon or wherever and it's a Big Mac. Yeah. That's the standard we're trying to get to. So two things with that. I want to ask how you stay relevant as you grow. It's it's common that as a franchise grows is... Never be satisfied. Yeah. Never be never be complacent. Mm. Complacency is the, the biggest killing factor in any business. Yeah. So for, from a franchise point of view, what do you do? I mean, I know groups that have 15 locations, but they're all different names because they don't want to They want to make it look, you know, support local, support small business. How do you guys manage that and, and keep that cool factor? So one of the things that we spoke about last year on our famous couch was talking about our connection to community. And that's something I actually learned from you. Thank you, you man. You, you inspired me a lot when, when we came to community. What you did at Percy Punker was very, I believe, is very community-based. It's all about community. It's all about community. And me and you, we, we speak a lot and sometimes inevitably you're mentoring me. And I think no matter what size you are, you should always, you should always listen and, and learn. Yeah. Thank so you. What, That's very kind. Thank no, you. it is. You're blushing, but you shouldn't. Because you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, sure, so I'm sure there's a lot of people here that, that should be telling you that as well. But your, your connection with your community really inspired me. And then I, I went back and I said, Roy, we, we, have, no, we have no connection with our customers. So we went back and we started working on that, you know, uh, local team sponsorship, community days. Um, it was very, when you get to uh, to the size of us, it's a lot of people are always knocking on your door asking for support, charity, and it's not that we don't want to do it. It's just like where, where does it end? Mm. Well, who's now, the, we, who's the right one? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, who's the right? Yeah. So, so rather than saying no to all of them, we just say, okay, this is what we can allocate to you. So we've we've done a lot more. Probably in, we've done more in the last two years than we have in the last 20 years. Wow. In terms of charity and community. Like we, we try to push and support as many local soccer teams, football teams, netball. Um, so, something not, not many people know. We actually have a scholarship with the Western Sydney University. And that's something that dad's pushed us to do. And and then one of the criteria is that you need to be an immigrant from an immigrant background wow. with nothing. So it's why not give someone else a leg up if you can and if you can afford it. You know, for me, seeing um, kids run around with my logo on their jersey is one of the most rewarding special, things ever. Very special. Especially yeah. when your children are on those teams. It's amazing. It's like yeah. you're building a legacy that you can pass on. Yeah. Especially to, like, I mean, 
Why not make corporatize a family business and pass it on to your children? Why not? There's absolutely the only reason why you wouldn't is if you have a plan from the start. It's like I want to sell it when we get to exit. Yeah, we have we have um, we always get told to have an exit strategy. So one thing, whenever you speak to any accountant, lawyer, what's your exit strategy? Mm. We have no exit strategy. Wow. This is what we want to do. This is it. We we want to be Piccolo Me. We want to get it to a stage where people know who we are. And we, we wanted we wanted to get a stage where we're proud of people, proud of what people know know about the brand and what it is. Yeah, and, and you spoke a little bit about um, you know you want to be the McDonald's of cafes in regards I don't want to, to be system. the McDonald's. It's, yeah, system. System. Like, sorry. Yeah. How do you systemize a cafe? Because it's a lot harder to do when you do it twenty stores. McDonald's obviously they got their bays. They got, you know, it's all. I think we're quite we're very lucky. The the company started off in the CBD. CBD is all fast. Mm. See, Western Sydney, you have a bit more time to spend with your customers. In the CBD, if your coffee is not ready in two minutes, boom. So we, so unintentionally, we had a lot of systems in terms of pushing things out fast. Okay. So with the Piccolo 2.0, we've introduced it. We've, we've got the espresso bar, now we've bought it on a kitchen. And we've, what we've learned in coffee, we're just pushing it into our kitchens now. A lot of the recipes and menu is designed by Roy, wow. who has no kitchen background. So... Our thinking behind that is if Roy can design it with no kitchen background, everyone should be able to replicate it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if he's not a chef-trained chef, then he then it should be quite easy for the franchisees or, or the people in the kitchen. So, what? And Roy, Roy is very uh, particular on quality. Mm. So we're not just talking about toast with butter and veggie, mine. We're talking, you know, flowers, the fancy, the smashed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's constantly growing and finding ways to, to – reinvent the brand right like he's, he's like you said he's a bit of a genius. I don't think he's, he's, he's trying to find ways to, to reinvent the brand I think it's he's naturally just um, progressing with time mm. and, and you guys have like I said we're about 27 stores you want to open 15 and 20 stores in the next year do you guys want to go all around Australia so we're, we have two stores in Melbourne at the moment yeah mm. very difficult we um, kind of underestimated the market there okay in uh, what way in terms of um, when you're doing really well, you think you're king shit. So you think you think you can you can you can work anywhere. So we went um, guns blazing, opened two stores straight away, and um, yeah, like it's difficult. But I'm I'm at a stage now where I'm very confident now in in my space in Melbourne. So what, We've adapted it to it. What did you learn from that experience? So so you adapt, adapt, adapt. Um, so in Melbourne, we've got single origin now. We've changed the bread. We've we've we made it more artisan, artisan, uh, artisan, yeah. artisan. Yeah. So is that because he's done you... a Lebanese <laughs> artisan? You know what I mean, Habibi? <laughs> Aladdin. <laughs> um, and it's it's so important because you have to adapt to your 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 base, right? For example, um, we're opening up in Guildford, and that's going to be our first halal store. Wow, you smart, know? very smart. It's not very smart. You you. You need to read the people mm. and you need to read the space. Yeah. Cookie cutter doesn't work. Yeah. So you kept the name, but your your every store's different. When I say no, different, not, not, not different. different, but as in you have to adapt. You have to blend in with the community correct, of what correct. you're trying to do. Yeah. Like I said, without the community, you're a nobody. Mm. No, under, know and understand your community. Yeah. I love that. And, and from a franchise point of view, like you said, you're a company, company owned store, but you have a lot of franchisees and whatnot. How do you keep them? You said you want to try visit as much as possible, but how hard is it is dealing with franchises? When I say franchisees, it's because some people might not have any hospitality experience, but they want to they want that that cafe lifestyle. So a lot of cookie cutter franchises, 
you're like, you read six weeks training program. Go mm. get, get fucked. You're not going to learn how to run a business in six weeks. Yeah. We don't give you the store or the keys until we think you are ready. So we have people in our program that we, like we thought would be in the store 12 weeks and six months later, they're still waiting to still get into training, the store. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. It's not always about cashing up. And, and not every person is at the same level. Yeah. There's some cultures that don't eat beef. Some cultures don't eat chicken. There's some cultures that don't eat lettuce. So you got to, when you bring a franchisee in, you need to, you need to tailor the program for them and give them the time they need to get up mm. to the level they're comfortable. Yeah. Do you, do you see it slowing down with franchisees because of the way the market is? Or do you think because of COVID and everything, people want to open their own business? I, I talk to a lot of people and I'm not just saying it for me, but franchises added a lot of value to the community. There's a we always hear about how many franchises have collapsed or failed, but how many small businesses could have survived if they had the systems and knowledge? Yeah, totally. Yeah, we, we might take a clip, we might um, get rebates, but it's we're not trying to we're not doing it to get rich. We we need it to support you. Mm. How many people out there open? Especially, I, I to me, I wouldn't recommend someone getting to cafes or hospitality without either going to partners with someone that's experienced or or at least dabbling into franchising. For the first your first business yeah yeah i think it's, i think it's a great idea and I, it was actually funny i actually remember you said to me you're like phil you don't need to you're ready you need to go out and open your own business because you you, you, you approached me yeah 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 and, and then i'm not i'm the worst person like I, my, my like roy and dad put me in charge of selling stores i'm the worst person because <laughs> i've talked out probably 90 percent more than yeah. i've talked in yeah because i don't want someone in my system that doesn't belong mm. or is overqualified like be in the system if you need the system. If you if you are strong enough to stand on your own, do it because because you you might be too strong. You'd be like, oh, I don't believe we shouldn't be using that bread. Why are we using this coffee? Why are we using that tomato sauce? We don't need those type of people. If yeah. if you know what you're doing, go out and do it. Yeah, yeah. You want to give the guys that are passionate. Don't necessarily know everything about it, but you give them that support they need. But they're passionate about it, so you know they're going to give good guest experience. The right franchise is a blessing. Mm. And, and I hope that we are the right friend. That, that's our goal is to be as supportive as possible. We might have dropped the ball here and there. We try as we, we really do try our hardest. But having a support network there is worth the value. Yeah. It is super. Like having being able to call someone and go, uh, how do I fix this toaster or what's wrong with this or can you hook me up with that is valuable. Mm. Especially in hospitality. If your coffee machine breaks down, you can't tell your customer, come back in one hour. In like an office environment. It's ASAP, let's go. It's, yeah, you need to fix it ASAP. Or um, if your bread supplier didn't come or this, like there's so much that can go wrong in, a, in one of our days. Yeah. You got franchises copped a bad rap and that's mainly because of the retail food group, you know, who have had the Michelle patisseries and the and the Gloria Jeans and, and, you know, a lot of franchises are complaining. What do you, what do you see the future of hospitality? I mean, of, of hosp franchises in hospitality? The strong will survive. Yeah. I think the ones that, are, that have a clear message clear view, clear mission will survive. Mm. The ones that give value back to their franchisees will flourish. Yeah. I love that. A lot of our a lot of our franchisees are multi site. That's very important to say. And a lot of and a lot of the new ones are from existing franchisees. Mm. Whenever I speak whenever a new franchisee inquires, I go, Have you been to our store? Oh no, I haven't. I go go to us go to any of our franchisees and ask them. They're not gonna lie. Yeah. They're yeah, going to tell you, come in or come out. Exactly right. They're, they're going to be 100% on and, and it's a great sign that a lot of your franchisees are, are multi-store because they believe in the brand and the vision, right? Definitely. 
So we want to makes shift. us very proud. Oh, hundred, and that's what you work towards, and you can see that passion when you talk about Piccolo Me. But what I really want to talk about now is is something that you're very passionate as well about. Go dark, dark kitchens. Can you talk to us about what this dark kitchens is, why you're so passionate about it, and also what the plan is with Go Dark? Why we're so passionate? It saved our asses during COVID. It really did. It's opened up a new revenue stream for a lot of my businesses. So for any, anyone, anyone, obviously people in hospital will know what dark kitchens are, but if someone's listening that's not in the industry. So pretty much it's a kitchen and there's no lights on. That's romantic. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so you, you have two things. You have a virtual brand. So a virtual brand is a, a brand that early, were, early is found on delivery partners. So it has no physical shop front. Yeah. Why are virtual brands so powerful? Because you don't need to go and invest three to four hundred grand now on a very pretty shop front. All you need is a kick-ass kitchen, kick-ass staff that can pump out the orders. Mm. Why, why we feel we're, we're special in the virtual, virtual brand space, we did it out of necessity. We really needed to do this. If we didn't do this, I'm sure we would have had a lot more store closures. Yeah. Why, why our, our brands do stand out? It's because we have Roy. He's a branding genius. Yeah. Perfect example of it is, before we started dabbling into virtual brands, we had Piccolo Me, online delivery sales. And I, I'm, I was very, always very proud of our sales. I shared it with you guys and everything. We had Piccolo Me that could do two to two and a half thousand dollars during the day on Uber Eats. So I'm in my head, I'm like, if we could do two and a half during the day, why can't we do two and a half at night? So, so I'm, I was like, you know, let's run Piccolo Me. Roy's like, no, who's gonna order a burger from a cafe at night? At night, it's a different game. It's a different space. People that order at night have a cuisine in mind. No matter how good your burger is from a cafe, it's, they're always going to go to a burger shop. Yeah, it's a different mentality. Correct. So, so I'm, I'm, so me and Roy ran pilots side by side. I'm running Piccolo Me at night, PM Burgers, Pick a Loaded, this and that, and I'm getting two to three orders a night. Roy's running all these, you know, Whiz Burger, Yeah Birdie, all these brands that he's come up with, and he's doing two to three grand a night. Wow. So, so. I mean, it started out of necessity, but how hard is it to get a virtual brand that no one really knows because of that, that like Percy Plunkett, right? We do a pop-up night. People know about the brand. Yeah. They know, but how do you get a virtual brand? How do you get, is it just because it's marketing? About marketing. This is the first time where you are in a virtual food court because when someone opens a, an app, it's a virtual food court it's true. where you have the same marketing budget as McDonald's. So you can you can go up and say you know buy one get one free thirty percent off blah 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 and you're you're directly competing with the big guys. So if you can get your packaging right, you can get your branding right, and the right marketing campaign, you can outrank McDonald's. Yeah, that's uh, I think I got goosebumps when you said you got the same marketing spend as McDonald's because you're on this platform which is worth a billion dollars, right? How, how do you so you got the branding, you got the marketing? Oh, most importantly is the ratings. So the longer you're on... The reviews. And the reviews, yeah. So ratings, reviews. So two things that really help Uber. Being on it long. Uber loves... Uh, uh, delivery loves a brand that's on consistently. As in all day and night? Or yeah, as, as many hours as you can leave it on, you leave it on. So it, it loves a brand that can stay on long and it also loves a brand that promotes and it's active. Sorry, three things. I said two. And then the third thing is a high rating. So if you look at a lot of my Piccolo and Me stores, we're minimum 4.5 star. Mm. We, we put so much resources into getting that Uber experience to the customer right. Wrapping up bags, putting, um, wrapping up cups, putting plugs in coffee cups, 
we spending we spend a lot more on our delivery than we do on dining. So so we get people to come back. Yeah. The biggest thing we we taught ourselves was why not treat the customer at home like a regular. So we started writing personalized messages. We started throwing in some freebies. We started putting daily specials on. We have customers that if you look at it, they've ordered three, four, five hundred times. You can wow. tell you how many times. So we started treating these customers as regulars. We started doing promos. We started attaching things to the bags, come into store, and yeah. And so. so so everyone, I mean, there's this. It's a constant debate. It's you know thirty percent. Thirty percent. You're paying too much, and but ha- you put, how you put you it s- up. You scale it up. But can you put a burger up? I mean, we sell seventeen dollar burger. Can you put that up? You know, thirty percent. It's is that sustainable? Can you put twenty one, twenty two dollars? Put twenty percent, twenty five percent. Remember, you when you're online, you have no your fixed costs. Are, your cafe is already paying for fixed costs. Mm. You're not paying for rent anymore. Any ex, any orders that you get through de- delivery is X of rent, and you're already using the same stuff, and you're already using the same fit out. Mm. If you start treating it as a new revenue stream, rather than than your traditional sales, then you start looking at it completely differently. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, it's it's because it's there's some people that have gone on there, they're doing it, but then they hate the fact that the driver is very inconsistent. Sometimes they don't even drop off the food. Like, I think you, it's important to look after your drivers. A you, lot of our drivers we know by name. Wow, because a lot of drivers are like, come back, come back. You know, come. We're gonna be we're busy today. Keep coming back. You know, throw them a bottle of water or a coffee. Mm. Yeah, so is that something where you you focus on strongly in each store to make sure your your drivers because they, they you gotta respect a, everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's let's talk about Go Dark. You started this business. If I if it, what's the best way to explain Go Dark as a business? How does it help me? And how and what do you guys do? For example, you're um, Percy Parker, and you're not operating at nights now, but you have the capacity and you have the labor to do it, but you don't have the time to go and create a new brand. So we we give you that brand finish with the operations with the training. And we set, we'll completely set you up on all the delivery partners. We'll push it all through one tablet and you just fulfill the orders. So I'm, I'm Percy Plunker, but at night I'm Yeah Birdie, one of your, one yeah. of your bottles. And you guys set up everything from the menu to the everything. Uber. You guys, obviously, it's like a franchise. Well, it's, it's a franchise without the $400,000 price tag. Yeah. And so you guys get And a, it's a franchise that if it doesn't work, you get out. So you can, there's no. We're working for you. Yeah. So how do where do you guys make the money? Is there a cut like a franchise? Yeah. Fee? So we take percentage. Okay. So from a, I mean, like you said, when you when you got, um, and this is something that I'm sure a lot of businesses are listening to now. The the, the main thing to to remember about um, virtual brands, it's not there to take over your your brand mm. to all your store. It's there to work side by side. So if you're doing ten thousand a week and you need to get that fifteen thousand dollar break even point, you could probably operate three or four of our brands, and it could get you to that point. Mm. So it you can keep you going while your business, or for if you're a new business, and and your kitchen's only doing two, you know, twenty, thirty sales a day, but your kitchen can do a hundred. Why not start with four to five brands until your store is capable of moving away mm-hmm. from them? Yeah, because switch it on. Switch. It's like it's where where your your kitchen now is an Uber driver. When you you're, you want to do the hours, you do it. When you want to switch off, switch off. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you're not by like. You know, people like me, I'm, I'm very protective. Uh, sorry, Percy Plunk, I'm very protective of the brand. But I guess if you bring all these other brands in, reality is no one knows it's coming from Percy Plunk. Like obviously they'll say they, the address. They can know. They, they address. So it's important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Your address is always there. So it's important that quality and the food safety and all that is important. Yeah. So we're not going to just give it to anyone. Yeah. So essentially it's like you're you're filtering your – it's like a franchisee is coming on board. You've got to make sure they're the right partner. Correct. Yeah. At the end of the day, we, we don't want to lose money either. It's mm. a business. But we – it's something that helped us survive 
and it's something that we're so passionate about and we want to share it with the world. Yeah. And I guess the, the best way to ask if, you know, my next question was, why wouldn't someone else go set up their own thing? It's because you guys are taking out all the work for them. You're setting exactly up the right. venues, you're doing the brand. No one's going to pay for another website. So you guys are having that. What, what's, where do you see, do you see this as the future? Definitely. Yeah. I, if you have the capacity, why wouldn't you do it? Mm. Like, if I had, I, I wish I had these two or three years ago. Because especially for a new business, all our, all our new Piccolo Me stores will launch, with, you know, three or four um, virtual brands in the back end. It's going to get us to profitability a lot faster. The days of you opening a cafe and being busy straight away are gone. Mm. We don't have that luxury anymore. And with the Piccolo Me model, we actually don't take A-grade locations. We, we're, we always put ourselves in... In B's or C's, so we're talking industrial, um, w- one of the worst locations in university. We so always take really cheap rent. What is it? Is it the overheads? Is that why? Because you don't because you design in Westfields, right? No, no we're, we're in no shopping centers. For me, rent is the biggest gift I can give a franchisee. Yeah. If I give them a rent that they can pay at year ten, because majority of my leases are ten years, they're thankful. If the, the first thing when a franchisee wants to get out of a system and he puts it on the market, they're going to ask him, what's your rent? It's always the biggest question mm. before your sales. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's your rent and your wage, your biggest overheads, right? It's even more important now when, the, when you can be closed for how long. Mm. Like, we've been fortunate that landlords, government, everyone's supported the industry at the moment. But how many more times are they going to do that with new lockdowns? Yeah. They can't just keep throwing away and giving away money. There's only so much, yeah. There's only so much. But can't, can't, with, you know, you call them B-grade, C-grade sites, with those, you know, locations that aren't as popular, how do you, outside of the Uber platform, how do you create that, that community? People, community. So we've done that really well with our industrial sites. Okay. So traditionally an industrial site would be, you know, mum and dad, chica rolls. So we've gone in and... Um, How good is the chicken roll, but... I love chicken roll, you know, but we just put it between a burger, add some sauce, some special sauce, sell it for 20 bucks now. <laughs> something wrong, you know, he'll create a crazy name. Yeah, and got... <laughs> so, so what we've done now, and I think we're not many people are in this space that do it. So we take a lot of... We're taking a lot of community hubs. We're taking a lot of industrial that have the industrial Monday to Friday but have the uh, cross the road or down the road from community and just aggressively market into the community. These sites now, that the rents are so much cheaper, but they're like, we're talking about two, 300 square meter sites that you can have big seating, big venues. What, what, what made you go down that path? Was there a... a um, by accident. So um, we signed up one of our sites, industrial, and we, we, we fell into it. I think um, one of your last questions is going to be what, how, mu- how much of this is luck and how much of it is hard work? <laughs> You've been listening. I like it. <laughs> a lot of it is luck. Yeah. So we, we've, we dabbled into a lot of industrial sites. And then through Roy and his team through marketing, we were able to penetrate the community. And we got, the, we got like a business that now has, which is busy Monday to Friday and has the extra bonus of the weekend. And, and with... We, when you're, we go back to dark kitchens, is it going to get to the point where it becomes so saturated where it is like cafes, where there is one in every corner or there's, there is... But you're not going to say... You, you don't know. The market is already saturated. Mm. So there's not many players out there at the moment that are... So when you talk about dark kitchen, the dark kitchen is the... It can be a venue as well that has virtual brands in it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Virtual brands, even if, if someone puts um, 50 virtual brands out of a store... 
for you as a consumer, you're not going to know or care about it. You know, exactly. Because you're, it's not, ta- it's, it's only taking space up on the, the delivery app. Mm. Where it starts to matter is how do you execute those brands? Yeah. It's so important to rank high. On any delivery platform, it's all about ranking high. And and how do you, with your franchisees now, have you offered all these dark kitchen, these brands yeah. and that through that? And how, how's it been received? Um, good and bad. Talk to us about both. So the good is the ones that have, uh, that have taken it on board have done extremely well. Some... Some are struggling. I think the biggest issue is staffing. Okay. That's the reason. A lot of a lot of brands that we could operate at night and that could do three to four grand, we can't get staff to do it. Mm. We've already gone from Monday to Friday to Monday to Sunday. Yeah. And now we're adding Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. So you need a, an, another extra team. And that's been the biggest problem now is just finding the yeah. team for that. I guess the beauty of it is you do need more people, but it's nowhere near as much as a full-service restaurant. No way. Yeah. Like you can do on a virtual brand, on, on multiple virtual brands, $4,000 a night and run it with three people. Yeah. If you're a cafe with table service, you probably need six. Mm. You know, between the washing, the cooking and the oh, running, yeah, the barista. Yeah. yeah. And I go back to Piccolo Meat, why Piccolo Meat is so special. We're like one of the early concepts that has a really great balance between takeaway and dining. A lot of cafes either do dining really well or do takeaway really well. We're one of the brands that actually, we're CBD based. So CBD is all takeaway. Now we're in Western Sydney, we're doing dining. Mm. So we've got that great fusion and of, of that, like you can come in, get a takeaway coffee, get a bacon egg roll and you're out within 10 minutes. Yeah. But if you want to sit down, you can have a dining meal. You found a good balance between the two. I think there's not many people out there like us. Mm. And we, that's that, and that what makes me excited as well. Yeah, you guys have a market, a niche market, a market there, and you know you can go towards that because you can bet you can. A, a concept like that, you, like we've started now, we're going to go put it in Guildford between the. It's an old subway site. It's between a, a Porter's and a Seven Eleven. So we're we're we're, exper- we're expanding to new channels. Mm. We're going we're going to into places where someone where we can fulfill that that market. Someone go and get takeaway coffee, get a you know a roll, and then. If there's families, they can come and sit down and yeah, yeah, you, you're getting both markets. It's a hybrid model. Yeah, hybrid. Yeah, yeah. And and what I mean, obviously, you're you have company stores, so you're always monitoring co- wage costs. And me and Roy are working. Comp- like this morning, Roy opened up the cafe. Dad makes us work in the cafe still. I love that. Why Why is it important for your dad to work in the cafe? To stay connected. Mm. To under, for the for the for the customer or for the staff? Is it all both? For the franchisee, for the company, for everything, for the product. For the operating system, for the chefs, you, you it's so important in, in leadership to lead. You know, you, you lead from ex, lead by example. Yeah. You don't lead from the front. You lead by example. Don't be scared to like. Our, we have a company store downstairs, so if we see the girls putting the tables out, or we, we'll go and help them. But that's that's you guys as, as that's hospitality. That's it's how you grow up. Well, right? hospitable. Hospitable, exactly. And we love it. And. I'm very thankful for my Lebanese heritage because we're all about feeding and mm. hospitable and over catering. Hundred, yeah, and that's what's that's what makes us, you know, do well in business because we genuinely care about the, the our guests, right? We love to overfeed people. Mm. <laughs> like, downstairs, we're so generous with our portions because that's that's how we are. Yeah, and the customers love it. So with that, I mean, you know, managing wage costs and and you know, food costs and we were our most profitable when we were just doing takeaway and delivery. Wow. So we were running uh, labor costs at around twenty percent. Wow. So because so you don't you don't have the washing, you don't have the table service, 
You don't have um, delivery gives you the time to make the orders. You have the order comes in, you've got 15, 20 minutes to make it. Yeah, yeah, there's no pressure like it is for for like a full operating service. Correct. So so how 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 do you manage and maintain now that things are back to normal and you've got a hybrid model where you're doing takeaway dining? How do you manage and, and maintain? Is there a number set number you have for each store that you own and and what you advise franchisees? Like where where should we be aiming for? For like labor costs? Labor costs and cogs. I mean, everyone always teaches us that we need to be around the 20, 25% mark. Mm. I think you're more around the thirty percent mark for wages. Wages, wages okay. yeah. And 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 don't forget as well, you have add-ons. You got workers' comp and superannuation. A lot of people don't don't factor those in. Yeah, yeah. Is it getting harder to be profitable in, in hospitality? I think we need to be smarter. Mm. How? As much as we can get made off-site and bought, mm. we should. So we work with a lot of companies like MD's Providor who do our Shout slice out. and dice. Shout out, MD. Shout out to the sponsor MD's Providor <laughs> for your vegetable and fruit needs. If you're ever in the in the hospitality business and you need some vegetables, please uh, call Muhammad on – what's his number? I actually no idea. But I didn't, I was... Muhammad, you didn't pay enough to get your number mentioned on this. But we should get at least three, three box of apples or something from this, huh? My um, kids love tough, tough eat apples. <laughs> He'll give you a box next week, you won't. So is, is, it, is it a matter of, I mean, with that you have, you might, your wage costs might drop, but your food costs might go up. So how do you balance the two? Is it just a matter, matter of just monitoring it? And it's super important. At, the, at, at this point in time in Australia, we have no choice but to manage, we have to manage our labour more importantly than the food cost. Mm. And I think one thing is don't be scared to pass on the cost to your customers. We were, like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of hospitality businesses are out there shit scared of always putting their prices up. Yeah. But you can't be scared. If you're providing a quality and a product, don't be scared to charge. Yeah. Yeah, you look at packaging's gone up, the meat's gone up, fruit and veggies gone up, but we're still charging $4 coffee and, you know, $12 for whatever. It is. And it's it's hard because you, there is only a set amount you can charge, right? Like it's not – so it's that balance between the two. I think we're probably at a disadvantage because there's a lot of people in the industry that don't understand these costs of goods mm. that make it harder for businesses that do focus on it. Because you could have um, a mum and dad still selling a coffee at three fifty, mm. that damages a business that tries to sell coffee for four dollars. Yeah. So then you start looking at how do you draw people in? It's through your, your commitment to quality, your commitment to community, service, yeah. and then they, they they should add value that you can charge for your customers. Mm. A lot of our businesses now, and and we spoke about it as well before. Uh, we're putting surcharges on the weekend. Customers happy in the beginning, but. We want to pay our stuff correctly. Yeah. And we don't have enough margin to carry that cost anymore. So we have to pass it on. Yeah. And it's something I think a lot of businesses should not be scared of. Mm. Yeah, there was something that, you know, for three years was such a big fear of mine, like how are we going to charge? But then when you, you're charging, you know, you everyone's getting the award rate, which everyone should be getting award rate or more. You know, no one should be getting cash. It should be all done proper. You got to charge accordingly, right? So I think I think as long as we and I'm I'm very transparent with our guests as well. You know, we if someone asks why is there a surcharge, we sit there and tell them. Did you, you show them the Ferrari? <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's only a <laughs> weekend. Petrol's expensive. <laughs> I don't drive it on weekends, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those things. It's a touchy topic, but at the same time, it needs to be done because otherwise, you know, it's a lot more harder for people that are very passionate about what they do. Mm. When you're a one cafe owner operator, your your customers almost become family. It's true. So you, you don't want to piss off your family. That's very true. Very, very true. But it's but how long do you want to keep serving them for? Mm. And it's something as a, as a hospitality, as a group, we should stand, stand up for what we, we are owed. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's exactly. And I, and I th- but I think the majority of people understand and they're okay with it. Once you explain it to them, and I think this is the future is there needs to be more conversation around that so people understand when they go into a venue, you know, why. And I actually, we had a conversation with a guest last week. He said, can I just ask why you have a surcharge? I said, look, reality is COVID has taught us that we, we couldn't last a week after closing because there's just, this is not enough margin. You're living week to week, right? So, you know, as we start kind of moving on a little bit, I know Roy is big on the social media and and, the, and how important it is for the business. What, what's your I, thoughts on that? It's, social media is very hard. <laughs> In what way? Like I, I tried, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there a lot more. So I started doing the TikToks and this and that. And then after two weeks, I'm like, man, this is too hard. Too much time, huh? Well, like, oh, <laughs> I, know, I, I noticed you had a, you, were, you were back. Yeah, were back. I was like, boom, I'm back, baby. And then two weeks later. I'm ready to share my story. <laughs> but it's it's good because I think your story needs to be shared. And I think there's going to be so much value from this podcast because you it's it's why I've been wanting to get you on for so long. You know what? It's tough for us as as business owners, as men, to be emotionally vulnerable. And I, I, was, I was emotionally vulnerable for a, a period. I, it was very stressful. It got to the top of me. So for a while, I had to go back and just and rebuild myself before I was able and confident to share my story. Mm. Like, I've been in hospitality my whole life. My, my earliest memories are running around my parents' donut shop called Cheeky Donut. Is that, then, is that another brand Roy's working on now? No, it was my dad's first store. So um, maybe it, might, it comes from my dad. Yeah, yeah. Know? And then the first venue I, I ran was a canteen at Redfern, at Erskineville Oval for South Sydney. And I was like probably about 12 or 13 running my first little wow. business, you know, takeaway. So it, it's always been in my blood. Mm. Asked me to change a car tire, asked me to paint a wall. I'm freaking hopeless at anything else. <laughs> Asked me to get behind the, the grill or asked me to, to fix a group handle or something. It's all natural. Yeah, it's what you know. It's what I love. Yeah, what you love. Yeah, I love that. You, you spoke a little bit, um, well, you touch on it now and also, you know, how hard it was during COVID and, and, you know, it kind of like we thought that it was kind of the, they were taking our livelihood away. Talk to us about some the of that. The government hum- really helped us. Yeah, it was massive, massive support. The government, honestly, shout out to ScoMo. 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 <laughs> But let's 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 talk. I mean, you're you're 100 right. Without that government support, there's no way that many businesses would have. The government open. backed us big time. The government gave us the. I know they they they're getting a lot of grilling for JobKeeper. It was it was the right thing to do at that right at that point in time. If we didn't have it, there's a lot of businesses that wouldn't survive. And not only that, a lot of businesses were given. A lot of businesses were able to keep people on and kept those people on to innovate and to open up new avenues to the businesses. Yeah, that's right. So we were able, even though the cafe was quiet, we were able to use those resources to push other sides of our business. Mm. We we invested in like, we doubled down on marketing. That was one of the biggest things that we did. We, um, during COVID, the first COVID, we focused a lot on converting our catering customers into gift boxing. Mm. So we, we had our, we used to do we'll do orders for Amazon the fulfillment. We're doing three, four, five, six hundred boxes, wow. gift boxes, and experience boxes, and it was huge. And we didn't. Do, we chose not to do it the second time. Is it because you wanted to focus more on the people like me, out of lockdown? Hundred percent. Not only that, I knew how much money we could make through the Piccolo Me, and so we put all our resources in to Piccolo Me. Yeah. And to to get every store to stand on its own mm. without support. You, you spoke about, you know, the kind of advice your dad gave you when he said, look, I came to this country with nothing and the government's going to support us and they did. But talk to us about the hard time because you are, it is hard to be vulnerable. It is hard to go out and say, you know what, like I'm, I'm not feeling great. You don't, we don't want to burden our partners and whatnot. We've how, always how, taught to be strong. Mm. 
always, and I'm not sure if it's a man thing or because uh, of our, uh, our backgrounds. But as, as a male, we've always been taught to be strong and then not to share. Once I started getting out of, out of my shell and sharing, you know, how I felt, a lot more people were receptive to it. Mm. Charlie, it's all right. Don't worry. I started speaking to you. I started speaking to Muhammad. I started speaking to – I opened up to my network and my yeah. network opened up to me. And we, yeah. started, we started seeing there was more common, common things than less uncommon things. And it was something um, I was very proud about. Yeah. I was proud that I was able to start expressing my, how I felt. Yeah, it's weird. It's just we go through this period in our 20s where we feel we can't talk about anything. But as we get older, it's like, no, it's okay to talk. Like, let's talk. Tell us how you feel. So someone going through that hard time, is that someone you'd say to them, just talk to people? Just... Reach out to me or feel. Mm. Me and you, have, I, I feel like we're very similar, very receptive. We, we try and stop us from chatting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm surprised this podcast is not going to go for three hours. <laughs> it probably could. Yeah, like, yeah. But I you're... feel like I haven't even touched on my story. Yeah, yeah. You know? It, it's 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 one of those things where I, I really want to push the, the the mental health in hospitality because it, it does get to a point where there's that burden and that pressure and, and it it gets it gets really hard. You know what? It's one of the most. It, it's one of those industries that takes a lot and gives a little. Yeah. It takes a lot out of you, especially as an owner. It takes so much. Like you could spend you know fifty sixty hours a week at your venue, and and, and sometimes you you look for what. Yeah. You know. But, but you know, you know, sometimes. But you, if you get it right, it's the most fucking rewarding thing yeah, ever. Yeah, you get it right, and then you you walk into your shop, everything's buzzing, the staff are happy. Those days are amazing. Best feeling. Best um, feeling. Also, anyone getting into hospitality, get ready for those uh, four, five, six a.m. phone calls and messages. Anxiety. <laughs> so let's let's <laughs> talk about. I check every morning. Like, who's calling in sick? What happened? What's broken? Yeah, what's yeah. not working? Yeah. So I mean, what, what what advice would you give someone? I mean, you gave me a lot of good advice when when I came to you before I had the cafe. What advice would you give to someone that's listening that says, "Hey, I want to open my own business"? What advice would you give them? Make sure you're passionate. Make sure you're in it for the long haul. Hmm. Not many people, not many venues are unicorns. So you get a venue where by, the, by luck you get everything right mm. from day one. If, if you're in it for the long haul and you can wait until your business matures, it becomes rewarding. Just got to carry through that journey. Just, yeah. I mean, everyone always teaches us, you know, consistency, quality and value. Mm. Get those three things right and you'll you have people coming back. Yeah. How do you manage the balance between work and family? You go home, you got your wife. I think kids. it's one of the most difficult things any hospitality owner has to struggle with. Mm. If you look at our industry, there's a lot of people that are divorced. It, it is very difficult. Yeah. How do we solve that problem? How do we solve that? Get more hours in the day. <laughs> it's difficult because I grew up with a dad that always worked. Mm. So I don't see anything wrong with it. But when I get home and, and my kids are like hanging from my feet, wanting to talk to me, I'm like, I really need to get my priorities right. Yeah. It's, it's, your it goes, business it is, is, is uh, your business, if you do it right, is a, is a child. Yeah, so true. It's a child. You start, you, you give birth to it, you spend about six months thinking of a name for it, and then you start, you start seeing it crawl, you start seeing it walk, and then you, start, and then you put it to school, you know? And then by the time you, you put it to another school, most of us would have opened another venue mm. and done it all over again. Yeah. So a lot of our time has been absorbed by it. Especially if you're a, an, an, an operator by yourself, you don't have the resources to help you get away. Yeah, of course. I mean, how, how has it been for you? I mean, did COVID teach you, hey, look, I needed to take a step back and spend time with the family? And I think I was quite fortunate because I already started doing that. Actually, the first thing that the business was Monday to Friday. So we, we were very fortunate. 
early on because we had that work-life balance. Once we started transitioning, the business did take me away from it a bit while I established weekends. Weekends were foreign to us. We weren't used to – we were very coffee-heavy mm. and, like, you know, a little bit of breakfast and we went to plating and then plating brings a lot of things. For, for plating, you need a lot of prep. Yeah. You need a, a lot more staff at different times. So once we got that right, then I'm able now to step out again. Work-life balance is important. But if you do want to run a successful venue or a business, you do need to put in those hard, yeah, hard hours. It needs to be done. And you need that supportive partner to help you. you uh, having, my, my wife's amazing. My wife has been there through most of the journey before we got married. So she kind of knew who I was and when I am. I've been I'm, – I'm very open with her. So when if I do get home and I'm stressed, I'll tell her, listen, give me five minutes. Yeah. It's very hard. It's a hard part for her because – because she's been with the kids all day and yeah. she needs that time She needs that five minutes. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to go home and be snappy or angry or anything. Yeah. So um, maybe sometimes take that time out before you get home Yeah, to refresh yeah. a bit. Yeah, someone wants to – Try and leave it outside the home. Someone we, – uh, we had a, a dinner and there was a speaker and he was talking about – he goes, I used to come home and not talk to anyone and stressed and whatever. He goes, and then one day I sat in the car and I was like, this is not their problem. Why are we taking it out on them when it's not their problem, you know? So it's something – finding that balance is so hard but it's so important. You know what? We always try and tell ourselves that we're doing it for them. I'm building this for them. But when, when they get to the to our age, are they going to appreciate it? Mm. Or are they going to appreciate us being there for their soccer games? Yeah. So we have – you don't want to be that person where you think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Or, oh, sorry, you think you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, be real. Be real. Be real and understand why you're doing it. And it's okay if you're saying – Appreciate your kids. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, how I much – quite Sorry, I was quite fortunate – um, I had baby Michael just as COVID hit and it was the first time because everything was shutting and, and we had him in the middle of COVID. It was the first time I was able to bond with a child and a wow. kid. I went to the hospital because I was the early visitor and pretty much stayed with him and my wife for the three, four days. Wow. And it was the best thing ever. I, I loved it. Yeah, and I kind of wish I did it with my other children. Yeah, because that connection. I mean, I mean, you brought your your other two are probably more connected to their mum because they had that early early Correct. time with them, you know. So, but it's funny. And I'll, I'll tell my dad that story. We're like, well, I send your I send your mum in a cab. She was working that day. She went to the cab. She went to the hospital. She gave birth to you. It, and maybe I saw you that week. <laughs> but it was it <laughs> so very. That's always like your hands, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's that. I mean, times change, right? Like, there's that back then. I mean, the same thing. Like we were in the shop. Yeah, when, but then are our children gonna say about uh, that? about us back then dad couldn't do it either yeah yeah i think it's important. it was normal to him mm. we might be giving our kids time we might send them one day a week but to them in 30 years time are they going to be like oh dad was always busy yeah because you, you look at it and, and my parents you know obviously never went to soccer games whatever because they were working my parents as well yeah so you ask but i never once resented it because i knew that everything they were doing literally was to give us a better lifestyle and that also makes you think you go but i turned out all right <laughs> exactly yeah yeah <laughs> did and, we but <laughs> we're, twitch, we're twitching <laughs> Daddy <But> issues <laughs> You know what There's something you didn't touch on How close me and my dad are Well that was the That was one of the questions You're, we, you're, you're jumping You're jumping the podcast I mate. see in front of me <laughs> I do want to talk Actually let's You know what Let's Before I get on to the next question Roy had it as well You know your dad's been A massive mentor to, to, to He's a guys. friend He's a friend He's a brother He's a, he's a father What What has we don't, I don't call him dad unless I need money or I need something. You know, dad, can I, you know, use the house yeah. or something? Well, so, so how, I mean, you, you didn't have that connection early because you, you didn't come to the soccer games. You were working, you were running around in their stores when they had the stores. But why is that connection so strong? I think we, I didn't realize, but we were connecting with him at work. Mm, okay. Uh, he, he, he was a real school. He taught us everything we know. Like yeah. he, 
He's, he's, a, he's a real big inspiration because he's, he's always so full of life and he's always so optimistic. Mm. He's super optimistic. Like, I'll be like, uh, it's, when you put 15 stores on a, on a table and say we're going to open 15, it's very overwhelming. But he's like, 15 only? You can do 20, you know? <laughs> so he, he's always optimistic. He's always pushing us. He's always, his messaging is always very consistent. He's very, having that powerful, positive person in your life is a game changer. Mm. Um, we, we will talk about having a mentor. He's my mentor. I, I think one of the first things everyone should do is go get a mentor. Yeah. Is that positivity for, for your dad? Um, and, I, and I love the respect and love you have. I think the best quality about you guys is how much you love your dad. And I think it's so beautiful. Is it that, I hope he loves us the same. He, you can see how proud <laughs> he was taking a photo of us before. Like, you can see how proud he is. But is that positivity coming back from the experiences that he had overseas in Lebanon and, and realizing how lucky we are here? Is that where the positivity I think, I think our generation, besides COVID, we've had it cruisy. So easy. Cruisy. You know, money's always there. Property's always going up. We're always well fed. So I think from someone, he had a really great job. He was doing really well over there. Overnight, lost everything. Mm. Came back, came to Australia, barely spoke a word of English and built a, built a home and a house for us. Yeah. And I think because he's gone through that journey, he's, he's allowed to tell us that. Yeah. He's allowed to tell us, wake up and get, get back to it. And he's, he's lived it. So you, you got, like, he's got the right. Yeah, and they've gone right. through so much. Our yeah. parents have gone through so much yeah. that we would not even understand mm. or comprehend like, who are we to question them? Yeah, it's true, because they've been through the hardest of that. Like you said, our life has been it's super very chilled. Yeah. What, I mean, the optimism, what else does your, is it that your dad offers that from a business point of view, from mentorship? Where does he help? What, what is he, how has he helped you grow? It, it doesn't hurt that he's got a bit of money to help fund some things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. No, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, like, we're, we're friends. Yeah. It's a very strange relationship with, we have with our dad. Like, I can tell him to go get fucked. You can tell me, go get fucked. Mm. It's, it, it's almost like we're three brothers. I love that. You know, it's, yeah, I love it, that. it's, he's there, he's there when he needs to be dad and he's there when he needs to be Harry. Mm. And he's Harry a lot more than his dad, which is why we're so close. Yeah. But like you said, it becomes a mate, a brother more than, more than a dad, right? Yeah, like, I feel like he's more of a brother than a dad. And yeah. I think a lot of people say, oh, you three are brothers? Mm. Well, he's the coolest one out of all of you. No, so. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Um, who else have you looked up to in the industry or helped you kind of get you through kind of tough times or been there for you when you needed advice? Is there anyone else? That's a tough one because I, I don't think you realize how valuable the advice is at that time. Mm. So through when you're very successful, you, you don't take a, a lot of advice on a pond because you don't need it or you feel like you don't yeah, need it. Yeah. So when two years ago, when uh, nearly two years ago when COVID started coming out, I started talking and reaching out to people, not because I needed advice, but to check on them. And then inadvertently it became advice. Yeah. And we had a, we had a group, a Facebook, uh, Instagram, so uh, WhatsApp group, and we had a lot of business owners. Once you start seeing that you're not the only one, yeah. you stop feeling sorry for yourself. Mm. Yeah. And then you realize this is people you help. caused. Yeah. It's not your fault. It's nothing you caused, but, it was, but we made the decision that we're not going to let this happen again. Mm. If this happens again, we're ready for it. Yeah. And you were. Super ready for it. Yeah. I love that. And is there anywhere people like, I mean, is there any books or podcasts, obviously other than Table for Two, but is there any podcasts or books you listen to? Or? Early Table for Two. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I think, I mean, you, we love uh, How I Built This. Yeah. That's that got me through a lot of last year as well. Because mm. a lot of those businesses that grew after the tech tech boom and, the, and when it dropped, a lot of businesses grew as well through COVID and the, 
not sorry through through the Great Recession they had. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, the global crisis. Global, yeah, financial crisis. Financial yeah. crisis, and a lot of businesses in our space actually grew during the global financial crisis because rents and contributions and everything was a lot more realistic. So when when I I look at me and say, listen, I've got all my cards now and they're right, but all my cards are right now. Well, why not play them? Mm. And that's why we've gone aggressive. We we are ready for it. Is it? Is there anywhere? Is there a book that's kind of helped you? Kind of. Oh, I'm terrible at reading books. Yeah, so it's more like listening to podcasts. Like yeah. how I build this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you you have time to read books. Audible, Audible books. Yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah. it's like listening to a podcast. You listen now on the way home. I'm always. Oh, okay, Audible. Yeah, audible. Yeah, audible. It's really yeah, good. yeah. So. Um, you you too fancy for me. Yeah, I don't fuck around, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you? How What's do you, your favorite book for you? My favorite book by far, Danny Myers, How I Built This. Um, he's the king of hospitality. He's like. He, he set the, the playbook for hospitality and he continues to do it. And he, it's amazing because as he gets older, he's still reinventing himself and still doing great things. There's another guy, Danny, um, Daniel Flynn, Thank You Order. His story is amazing. And just hearing how he, you know, he's got this one quote where he says, people always say what happens if it doesn't work, but I, but I say what happens if it does. Yeah. And it just it just shifts your mindset of how you think. So um, enough about me. Uh, how do you, uh, it's, you know what? It's a podcast and people want to listen. Mm. Your, everyone, and this, I want to make this point, everyone's story counts. Yeah. Made it or failed, all our stories count. Mm. We all we all are someone or something to someone else and every failure leads to, uh, to an ex- success yeah. eventually. I 100% agree with you. Um, talking about success, how do you deal with bad reviews? Bad reviews? Fucking... <laughs> don't even get me started on bad reviews. What about, what about good reviews that leave you three stars? <laughs> they're, they're the ones that piss me off. <laughs> amazing coffee, amazing breakfast, amazing staff, three stars. Like, what do you want? <laughs> like, like, literally, what do you want? I want to. Ma- ma- maybe I have to pay you, or maybe I have to give it to you for free. Like, I want don't know. they burn you? <laughs> you know what? It's it's funny because once I asked, I said, she goes, I only give, uh, I was talking to a lady and she's like, I only give four star reviews because it's impossible to give a five star perfect experience. I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. But I mean, it's funny. Thank I look- you for destroying our business. <laughs> but how do you? I mean, Roy's probably more chilled about it. Like he's probably more like softer. I'm like that meme where they the the, the, the gif where the guy throws the computer out the window. <laughs> <laughs> how does Harry deal with it? That's good. He's composed. Like you, you have to learn from your reviews. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You got to learn. Like you can't like take them to. You can't be that emotional. Yeah. Again, bad ones don't don't piss me off. It's the good ones that should be. Should give us great views. Yeah, you know? yeah, They're the course. ones that piss me off. How, I'm how, like, what do you want? You, you spoke about how important it is for for the Uber and that. how important are reviews and Google reviews and that for your business. Super. Yeah. It's the first thing I, I check when I go anywhere. Yeah, check the socials, check the Google review. Yeah, That's why we put a lot of um, time and money and effort into making sure our Google has pictures. You can a lot of our stores you can order directly through Google Food now. Mm. So it's super important to be connected. Yeah. What? Um, how do you do with bad reviews? Because I know you're emotional. Man, I, you know what? I, up until I'm, I met Ibi from Newell and he gave me some great advice, I, I struggled a lot. I still struggle a lot with it. I remember we spoke we about yeah, it at the stages. I, I struggle with it a lot, but I think for me it's, okay, is there any merit to this review? Where did you we learn start? From it. You learn You learn You because so many of my friends and family will come in, if they don't have the best experience, they won't tell me. Yeah. And I say, please tell me. If the water bottle sits there too empty, empty for too long, let me know. Let me know what the thing is. Of the salt on the tables. Salt or pepper. <laughs> don't tell Harry. Harry, where's Harry? <laughs> Um, inside joke. Inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 one of those things where I, I'm, I'm 
Ibi said it. He's like, I don't take it personally, but we take it seriously. And I think that's fuck. That's amazing. It's the best advice I've gotten because now I look at it. I'm like, cool. We stuffed up. So here's my number. Come back. It's on us. But if they sit there and I want to carry on about it, then it's like, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you anymore. Like, we're trying to give the best experience. Yes, we're not perfect. We're not robots. We're not – I mean, I, I think this – I think the bad thing about review platforms are they're there to stay and there's more and more coming and going. But it's just – it's it's so damaging to a business. 100%. Yeah, but I think it's when – I rev, when I reply but to I a – But I think not many businesses have a five-star review either. That's true. Yeah, oh, no, it's 4, 4.6, 4.5, whatever. Yeah, but, so I, w- would you consider 4.5 benchmark now? Yeah, I mean, 4.5, 4.6 is, if you go 4.8, that's, I think 4.8 when you're doing that, it's doing really well. 4.8 but, is when you've been over three days. Yes, it's, true. It's, it's your brother, your mum, and your yeah. sister. <laughs> but you know, and you're, they're a real customer. You know what? It's, it's for me, when I reply now, like I'm always, I love when people privately message me, say, hey, look, we had an average experience or, or yeah, something. Yeah, private message us. I think it's beautiful. And I think that's when they genuinely care. But if someone's leaving a bad review I'm, and they don't want to listen, I'm saying, okay, cool, I'm going to show them who we are, kill them with kindness, and then look. And that when you go look at that review, you're going to see, oh, these guys actually, actually care. Yeah. And that's the difference. Caring is, is the key. So You know what? If someone went to, to the effort of putting a review, they're either very happy mm. or very pissed off. Exactly. So what, what you said before, that, that's like we should have it all on our shirts. Mm. It's, like, it's a good motto. It's a mo- and, and, steal and it's, it, man. Take it. Oh, it's <laughs> Ibi's one. So. <laughs> um, what's something you want people to say about your venue after they've visited? I want, someone, I want people to be proud of what we built. I want people to ex- enjoy the experience. I want people to, to fall in love with what we've created. It's, we're not trying to be cookie cutter. Mm. We, want, we want to do what people haven't done in hospitality or, in, sorry, not hospitality, in franchising. Everyone always gives franchising a stigma. We want to be the one that stands out. We want to be that benchmark and go, oh, is it like Piccolo me? Yeah, are you that. like people that you know? Yeah, yeah. We want to be the... Gold the, standard. We want we want our franchisees to be happy. We want our customers to be happy. Mm. We want the experience to be great. And, and we're going to do whatever we can to get to that. Yeah. What what business outside of hospitality really inspires you? You spoke about Tesla and, and what they've done and, and going from bankrupt, nearly bankruptcy to, to trillion dollars. I, lo- I love listening to tech stories. You know, mm. I love the one like the MailChimp story about how they could have sold to a big business, but their core goal was to help small business grow. And that's kind of where we took the inspiration for Go Dark. Why should we go with Go Dark and target? It's so much easier to take it to a big venue, to a big group that has a hundred stores, mm. and we probably get richer quicker if we want if we wanted to go down that path. Yeah. But we have something that could actually help so many people. And with Go Dark, I just want to take it to as many small businesses, and I want to see them kill it. Mm. I love it when I see it. Like if if I can make a small business add five to ten or even twenty thousand a week to to their range, it makes me bloody happy. Yeah, man. And it goes back to you guys genuinely care about your, your people and the franchisees and, and that's about small business. So, um, I think we need, I think as, as a collective, as hospitality, we all need to come together and really just be there for each other. We've gone through the toughest 12, 20, 24 months of our time. That WhatsApp group we built, we created, and there was like I think 10 to 12 of us, that was really important during the first lockdown because it was like the support was there, you know. But did you see the second? No one cared anymore? Because everyone's trying to master <laughs> everyone, it. Everyone, <laughs> everyone was like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> been there, done that. So, um, But that's a, such a good life experience. It's like you've been – once you go through something, it's just going to make you tougher, right? It doesn't get easier. We just get better at how we deal with things, right? Um I've, there's so much I want to talk more on to talk about, but obviously I think we're going to have to do another episode. But is there anything else you think we've missed in particular that you really want to add to the story? Is it about, you know, if it's Go Dark, if it's about Piccolo Me or about your personal journey? You can't fake hospitality. You can't fake it. You either 
you're either born with it, it's, it's something you can't be taught. Mm. Don't, like, and if you fail at it, don't get pissed off, don't get angry. It's a quality that not a lot of people have. And if you do have it, go go crazy and spread the love. Yeah. Have fun with it. Mm. Don't forget why, don't, in your darkest time, don't forget why you got into it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Remember why you got into it, yeah. Remember. I had, I had a post-it note on my wall for the first year of Percy's, which was like, remember you wanted don't this. Cry. Don't, don't cry. cry. <laughs> don't cry. <laughs> too late. Too late. Too late. But it was a post-it note and it said, remember you wanted this. It was a first for the first year. It was just because- I'm big on I'm big on quotes. Yeah, I love Find it. Find something that resonates with you. Yeah. And, and like you said, stick it somewhere where it's important. Yeah. Like if you turn around, I've got my, my, my points now. You know, this is what I, I, I want from- can you, can you read those for us? I can't even read it from here. My I'll read it for terrible, you. Easy, man. comprehensive, brand goals, culture. Yeah. And that, and that wasn't here. It's just a scrap of paper I put on it. But it's something that I'll, when we're in our boardroom mm. that we look at and we remember. Yeah. Remember why, what's important. Yeah. To you. yeah your values. And I, I'm telling you, culture wasn't on there two, three years ago. Wow. So good. It's so good to see the growth and, and how important our culture is to you guys. And I think you always had it, but it wasn't... We didn't know how to... to we didn't scale know how it. to sell it to our to our team. Yeah, or scale it because you can. It's easy to do a culture when you're there and it's you're part it of is, it. It is. You're right. It's, yeah. And that's why even with you, when I talk to you about when you open your other venues, and we had, we spoke about earlier, how are you going to carry it through to other stores? My my biggest thing is you. you Welcome to a table two with <laughs> now interviewing Phil from Percy Punk. It's just it's, it goes back to caring and kindness. So like if you sit there and show you care and you're genuine, the people you bring into your business. First thing we say to people when they come into Percy's is, are you sure you want to work here? It's a super hard job, but it's super rewarding. You're realistic. You have to be. You have to be, man. And it's so important. And I think- but Your expectations, it sounds like your expectations are realistic as well. Mm. You're not going to throw a kitchen hand in the kitchen and expect him to, to, to do a hundred covers. Yeah. You have to be real with what you got. You know what I mean? And, and I think who was it? I think Julian was saying something where as you step out of your businesses, it's okay to have a 90% culture, a 90% a business operating at 90%. If you're there, it's 100, but if you're not, it's 90%. That's what that says. Yeah. Because, because, but 90% within, as Julian says, 90% with an elite culture is, is still amazing. But 90% with a shitty culture, that's where you start creating problems. So that's that, like, I'm very big on, I want everything to be 100%. Mm. And I think that was the death of me at some stages yeah. because you can't achieve it. It's not possible. It's, yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that it's not achievable. Yeah. And that's why like dad was very, because Charlie, if you can get it to 90%, be happy. Yeah. It keep striving for a hundred, but the point is as long as you're striving for it, cause you're not going to be complacent if you keep Correct. striving for it. So um, obviously, you know, the last question coming, you touched on a little bit, but obviously it's our favorite question from our favorite it's podcast. All luck. It's all luck. <laughs> how much of your success do you honestly put to luck and how much to, to hard work and, and, Prior to two years ago, it was all hard work. Today, it's all about luck. COVID was a blessing in disguise for us. We, we- Do you saying COVID, like the luck you elaborate? The, 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 so when I talk about COVID, I mean, the, the, if we finally had time where we could actually work on our business. Prior to COVID, it was all go, 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 go. COVID, we, we sat down and we said, how do we not get into this, point, into this situation? We went and we set goals. We said, we diversified. We, we told ourselves, how are we not going to get into this situation again? And we just grew on those points and we just became stronger and stronger. The companies evolved from what we were two years ago to what we are today. I feel like two years ago, I thought we were adults, the brand, but it wasn't. We were toddlers. Mm. And these two years has given me and Roy and my dad the time to go work on the brand. And, to, and now we're an adolescent. And now we're, we're walking the brand into its adulthood yeah. with the next stage of growth. 
Yeah, I think I think you know this whole conversation. We have we've spoken a lot, but I think it's the first time we've probably caught up and, and had a chat and just seeing. We're saving all the good bits for you guys out there so listening. <laughs> But it's honestly, it's just I, well, I think what's so good about this chat is you're so clear of where you want to be and where you're going. And I think that there, I can see it when you're talking, like you're, you're, you're energized, you're motivated. I'm, I'm a lot more confident. Yeah. I, like I'm this confident when I'm in front of a coffee machine. Mm. So I, I, f- I feel like I'm actually, I've earned my stripes now to be in head office. Yeah, you've, built, you've done the apprentice. I know, I know, I know where I need to take the company. Yeah. I know how to get there. Yeah. Whereas two years ago, it was still, I guess, dabbling. Mm. Is this the right decision? Are people going to love us? Are we doing the right thing? Is the blend right? Is the coffee right? Now we're, we're matured. During the second pandemic, some of our stores were doing record sales. Record wow. sales with record uh, profitability. It was, it was amazing. It was inspiring. Yeah. I was inspired. I was like, every time a store broke a record, I was like, wow. You know, and then now it's about how do we, now that everything's gone back to normal, how do we how do we keep it, maintain it? and Build push that it momentum. To the I still have six, seven stores that are still shut. I have wow. stores that have been shut still from the first pandemic. Wow. So on top of our growth, we have to go back and get these guys back up. These these were the stores that I'm talking about in university were busiest, craziest <coughs> stores that were. So there's there's a lot of pressure on us to, to get these guys back to where they were. Mm. And it's it's a goal. Yeah. It's not a, a business goal. It's like it's a personal goal to get these guys. Back into back into good sales and back into profitability. Yeah, yeah. I just I love I love again. I love your focus. I love how much you care and and I, and I'm so grateful that you've always always been there for a chat. You know, I mean, recently we spoke I about. I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> no, I love seriously. You. <laughs> Thank you, man. It mean, and it means a lot. The feelings mutual and the fact that you're always there for me for advice is something that I'll never forget and something I'm super grateful for. I um, I try to anyone that wants advice, please. Hit, hit me up. So if they ask for your number, give me your number. Give me your number. 0404089289. Hit me up. There you go. Just you not go. after 5 p.m. <laughs> um, thanks, Charlie, so much for your time. I think the next time we're going to have to get you all three on the podcast. I'd love that. You know, I think that'll be a real cool chat. Yeah. Not scripted and just have a laugh and have yeah, a chat. Please. So thanks again for your time. Thank you. See you guys.